Well, the days are getting shorter, if you haven't noticed, which typically means that fall is around the corner, for better or for worse. Some of you are really looking forward to that. Others, if you're like me, I enjoy the long days and the hot days of summer, and so I'm not looking forward to that. But it means that not only is the weather changing, but that school is right around the corner. In fact, school begins very, very shortly in the beginning of September, the end of August for most. And many of us are probably well beyond our school years here this morning, but fall often brings with it different routines as we return from vacations, as we go back to work, and to our normal routines and relationships. And even if you're not going back to school, you might have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews who are heading back to school this fall. And next week is our back to school Sunday. And so I want to encourage you that uh, you'd bring your kids with you to church. If, you, if you're a student, invite your friends to come with you. If you have neighbors who have kids that are going to be going back to school in the fall, invite them to come out with you. Uh, pastor Liz, our children's pastor, is going to do a brief devotion on how to pray for students who are going back to school, and then we're going to pray for those students together. And then Pastor Mason, who you just met a moment ago, is going to be talking about uh, his vision for youth and for families and how to have a stable foundation in the kingdom of God as they go back to school. So I encourage you to be here uh, next week for Back to School Sunday. I'm going to be in Peru, but I didn't want to miss out on the back to school action. And so I actually want to kind of kick that off this morning with a message that I hope will prepare you to go back to school if you're a student, or maybe just help you prepare uh, others who are going back to school or just generally strengthen and encourage you in your Christian worldview, especially if you're in a moment of transition or of change in your own life. I I assume that most of us, probably all of us, have experienced motion sickness at some point in in our lives, correct? Have you had motion sickness before, either because you were not looking out the window to the horizon while you were riding in the back seat of a car, or you rode one too many roller coasters at Six Flags, or maybe because you were bobbing up and down on a boat all day, like Rena told me about before service, and you got a little bit of motion sickness. A couple years ago, one of the members of our congregation was kind enough to take me out on his boat deep sea fishing, Uh, and I want to show you a picture, if you got it, of the fish I caught. There it is. Uh, you've heard of fish that are, are too small and you have to throw them back. Well, my fish was too big and we had to throw it back. Uh, that's just how it goes. But uh, I want to give credit to uh, Paul because he's the one who knew, who knew what he was doing and helped me to be able to catch that fish. Um, and I'll admit that as we were out fishing at one point, I got a little bit nauseous, but not too bad. And I think it probably was a combination of the bobbing up and down in the waves in the boat and also the squid we were using as bait, kind of baking in the sun and smelling that. It just kind of made me a little, a little seasick. And later that night, after I got home and I cleaned up and I laid down and I closed my eyes to try to sleep, I found it difficult to go to sleep because it still felt like I was rocking up and down in the waves. Have you ever experienced that where you lay down and it still feels like you're out on the boat or you're still on the roller coaster or you're still in the back seat of that car? And it took me a little while to go to sleep that night. Sometimes when you're headed into something new in your life, maybe it's a new grade at school, it's a new job, it's a new school altogether, maybe you're headed into a new relationship or you're just going into a new season of life, you can start to feel a little seasick like things are rocking, like maybe they aren't stable in your life. New situations can often present new challenges, even new challenges to your faith that can be unsettling and can make you feel a little 
seasick, like you're bobbing up and down, like you're unstable, like you're wavering. It could be new information that you aren't sure how to fit into what you learned at church. It could be pressure from your peers uh, that, that makes you uh, want to do things that you normally thought you wouldn't do or shouldn't do, maybe from what they say, or maybe it's just the indirect social pressure that comes from social expectations and what people are wearing and what they're talking about and their body language. You may face challenges that at first make you a little nauseous, make you feel a little bit unsettled, like you're questioning the things that you thought you knew about the world and about yourself. And sometimes on first contact are encounters with new circumstances, new people, and new ideas can tend to cause doubt and make us question and, and give us a shaky, unsettled feeling. And I want to give you just a few reminders that I hope will help you to combat that shaky feeling as you're going into a new season, as we head into a new season together as a church in the fall, and especially if you're a student, as you go back to school or you head into a new school or a new grade, and that's this, that you should go back to school or your new job or, or into your, your old job or into the fall routine. You should, you should go back to school with a stabilizing worldview. You should go back to school with a stabilizing worldview. And the first reminder that I want to give you in this worldview that can help to stabilize you is this, that you can remember that you're in a spiritual battle. Now, you might think that if you were in a battle, you would know it, that it'd be obvious that you wouldn't need a reminder, you wouldn't need someone to tell you, but that's actually not always the case. I was listening to a podcast last week that featured a man who grew up in Sri Lanka in the 80s and 90s. And during that period, there was incredible unrest and civil war that was going on. It got very, very violent. And this young man recalled that he would, on his way to school in the morning, regularly see the bodies of dead people who had been tortured lying on the side of the road as he walked to school, to the point that he thought that was normal until he later moved to the United States and realized it's not normal to see dead bodies lying on the side of the road. He just took it as normal life. He described an incident when, when he was a child. One day there was a large explosion across town that kind of could be felt across the city. And a few hours after that explosion, his parents allowed him to go over to his friend's house that was near that explosion to look at the windows that had been blown out of his friend's house as if it was just kind of normal to go and check those things out and there was no further danger just a couple hours after this had happened. And he just considered that normal life. They were apparently so unconcerned about any further danger after the bomb went off, this was just how it was for them. And what I'm saying is that just because something doesn't strike you as strange, is not evidence that it's how things should be. And just because circumstances don't strike you as particularly battle-like in your life doesn't mean that you're not in a battle. In fact, some of the favorite tactics of our enemy in this spiritual battle are subterfuge, espionage, and fraud, words that may appear on a test later this semester. And what I mean is that the spiritual enemies of God, and therefore our spiritual enemies, often use deceit. This is what they specialize in. Their methods of war are not always obvious. And what I want to encourage you to do is to keep your head up and to be aware. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. It says this, 
But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Often when we encounter uh, new ideas and we get into new places, you'll want in those times so much to feel accepted, to try and fit in, that you'll be more open to receiving new ideas and suggestions without even evaluating them or without even checking whether they're true or they're good because you just want to be accepted. You'll encounter people that claim to be Christian, but they'll act as if God is far away, that he's not involved in everyday life. He doesn't care about what you do on a day-to-day or moment-by-moment basis. But, and they'll tell you that You can have your religious life at church, that's fine, but it really shouldn't affect your private life or your public life or or when you're at school or when you're at work. That that shouldn't bleed over into that part of your life. Some people will try to convince you that there are other kinds of spirituality that will lead to heaven. And that's just Satan's craftiness. That's how he works in our lives. Don't be unaware of it. Don't be ignorant that the battle isn't just one of morality or of ideas, but that this is actually a spiritual battle that we're in. You may even have well-meaning people that will say something completely satanic to you. Maybe they don't even realize it. Remember the time that Peter told Jesus that he would not be killed in Jerusalem? Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem where he'd be arrested by the chief priests and the elders. He'd be tried and he'd be killed. And Peter stops him and rebukes him and tells him, that's not going to happen. Surely not, Lord. And Jesus had to turn and rebuke Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus wasn't saying that Peter was inhabited by or possessed by Satan. He was saying that the patterns of thought that human culture had taught Peter were so influenced by Satan that Peter thought he was helping Jesus, but he was actually giving him satanic advice from the enemy, just like the advice Satan had tried to give him earlier, tempt him with early, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and Satan said, won't you just bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. Isn't that what you're here for, Jesus? Aren't you here to be king of kings? Aren't you here for the kingdoms of the world? Well, you can avoid the cross if you'll bow down and you'll worship me. And in the same way, the same idea came from the lips of the apostle Peter. And sometimes there will be people, maybe well-meaning, maybe good-intentioned, and maybe otherwise good people, and they will say things to you, and if, you don't, if you're not aware that you're in a spiritual battle, you'll be unaware that they're speaking to you the lies of Satan that have been filtered through culture. And what I want you to hear is that when you go back to school or you go to your new job or you're guiding your kids or you're guiding your grandkids in their experience of school, you're not just entering a new season You're entering a new new arena or a new battlefield. We're in a spiritual battle. And if we're unaware, we may become pawns in Satan's plan rather than pressing the battle lines for the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 to 12. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, student, worker, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, we're at war, and our kids are at war. And if we're ignorant of that, or we pretend like it's not happening, we will be deceived, and the enemy will have his way. But the first thing that can help you when you feel your world begin to rock is to remember that there's more going on than meets the eye. Not every flat tire or flickering bulb or inconvenient flight delay is an attack of the enemy. That's not what I believe. But the enemy does attempt to shake us through doubt, through fear, through deceit, through manipulation, through bad ideas spoken by our peers. Keep your head on a swivel and don't be unaware that you're in a spiritual battle. Because when you're unaware that we're in a battle, it creates a, it creates a, a sense of dullness in your life. There's a lack of urgency. But when you're aware that actually what's going on, though it might not look like it with my physical eyes, but spiritually speaking, what's happening is I'm in a battle, I'm at war, not with the people around me, I'm not telling you to be angry or hateful, nothing like that. We're not at war with people, but we are at war spiritually with beings who are in rebellion against God, with Satan and his angels. And re remember that, and it will create a sense of urgency in your life. Rather than creating your own purpose, trying to find your purpose in the world, you'll know that God has created you for a purpose and he wants you to fulfill that purpose, that he has a plan for your life to engage in this battle. You're part of his plan, you're part of his mission, and that means that you're not only looking for what God wants in the future, it means that wherever you are, you can be aware you're on assignment there from God. God's purposes for you aren't when you graduate. They're not when you retire. God's purposes in your life are now. He's got you where you're at for a reason, and he wants you to be aware that there's a spiritual battle going on. Remember that you're in a battle. Keep your head on a swivel, and therefore act with purpose. Knowing that we're in a spiritual war may be more intimidating to you than it is inspiring. Or maybe you think that this is a new idea and you were unaware of this going on or that this was part of the Christian worldview, though I hope you don't think that because you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, you believe that he died, that he rose, you believe the Holy Spirit dwells in you. It's not much of a stretch for us to believe the rest of what the Bible says, that there are other spiritual beings at work against God and against his kingdom and against his people who are in rebellion against God and want to thwart his purposes and his plans. And I could understand then if this sounds more like an intimidating idea than an inspiring idea because Peacetime is preferable to war, isn't it? But ignoring what's going on doesn't make it go away, and it doesn't provide peace. It just means you'll do things that leave you vulnerable and exposed to the enemy. You'll be walking through battlefields like you're walking through a garden. You won't even know what you're doing. If you're looking for confidence on the battlefield, rather than burying your head in the sand, remember whose armor you wear. Ephesians chapter six, verses 13 to 17 say this, 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." Now, it would be good for you to study and meditate on how each piece of that armor applies to your life. That's not within the range of what I want to do in this message this morning. Instead, I want you to go back to school with me for a moment, and we're going to do a little bit of grammar together if we can, okay? Everybody ready for a little grammar this morning? We're going to look at particularly the grammar of the phrase, armor of God. What does the word of mean in this phrase? Most of the time when we hear people talk about the armor of God, they talk about it as if this is armor that is supplied by God, which is true. This armor comes from God. If you want to get really nerdy with me for a moment, that would be a genitive of source indicating where something comes from. Of course, this armor does come from him, but there's more to it than that. This is likely a genitive of possession, meaning this is God's armor. He possesses the armor. To be a little less nerdy just means the armor belongs to God. And it doesn't belong to him because he owns it. It belongs to him because it's the armor he wears. It's his own armor. This isn't like the replica Lord of the Rings armor you bought off the internet. This is God's own armor. He owns it and he wears it. And Paul based his his teaching in Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God on several passages from the prophet Isaiah. And if you are looking in Ephesians chapter 6 and you see those tiny little letters next to words in your Bible, you can look down to the bottom of the page or maybe to the center column of the page, depending on how your Bible is laid out. That's called a cross-reference. And it will tell you where those words or ideas are found elsewhere in the Bible, and if you look at that for this passage, it will tell you that it's found in several different passages in Isaiah. The biggest passage, or the the most important passage, is Isaiah chapter 59, verses 14 to 17, which says this, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth is stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. So there's nobody in Israel, no one among his people, who's doing right, who's being righteous, and no one who will take up righteousness and justice and who will be like someone who stands between, who will be a representative before him for the people. No one who will fight for justice. No one who will uphold righteousness among his people. And so it says this, then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. Does that sound familiar at all? And a helmet of salvation on his head, he put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. In other words, 
Even though his people had failed, God was not giving up on his mission of righteousness and salvation and justice in the world. He was not going to stop building his kingdom even though the people of Israel had been unfaithful. And so when we get to the New Testament and the Apostle Paul says, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Get up the shield of faith. Put on the belt of truth and get those cleats on your feet so that you're immovable and you can pray Press the battle lines forward. He's not saying God gives this armor. That's not the end of it. He's saying this is the armor God wears. And you might think to yourself, well, how can I fit God's armor? That's a really good question. How are you going to fit in God's armor? Surely you're not as just or as righteous as he is. But remember this, that you are in Christ. And I've told you this before, that Jesus makes you swole, right? Jesus will help you fill out, fill out the armor. In fact, because you are in Christ, Jesus is wearing the armor. And it's yours in your life because Jesus is in you and you are in him. And so when you enter the spiritual battle, you don't enter it unarmed, you don't enter it without, without protection, you enter the battle knowing and with the confidence that I walk in the very armor that God wears, God's righteousness, my righteousness through Jesus. I did not save myself. God sent his son Jesus to save me. And so I put on the helmet of salvation, which declares this to me, that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, that he is seated on high at the right hand of God, and he is over thrones and principalities and rulers and authorities, that no one is higher than him, no one ever will be. I remember in my thoughts the salvation that says, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. What do you think Paul is talking about when he says that? He means not only people's knees, but the knee of every spiritual power that has ever thought to raise its ugly head against God will one day bow before Jesus and have to confess he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we remember that in our salvation. We take up the shield of faith, not faith in ourselves, but we take up faith in God, recognizing he's already won the battle. We put on the belt of truth, or as it puts it in Isaiah, the belt of God's faithfulness, remembering that the battle does not just depend on me and my faithfulness, but that the battle and what holds my armor together is the faithfulness of God, that he never leaves me, he never forsakes me. We take up the sword of the Spirit, not speaking our own words, but we speak the words of God, and we remember the truth of God in our lives, and in this way, we are armed and ready for battle, and then we put on the feet, the shoes, cleats that not only help us to stand without being pushed back, but the image there is of being able to push forward. God has you in this battle, not that you might be able to simply wait and endure till the end, but that you might be able to fulfill the mission that God has given you. He has you where you are, student. He has you where you are, person who's at work, or grandparent, or uncle, or aunt, or, or whatever your role is going into the fall season. He has you in that place and in that position that you might press the battle line that you might push forward the good news of the gospel of Jesus and that others might know that salvation comes from him alone. And so when you go, know you're entering a spiritual battle, but also remember whose armor you wear because it will give you the confidence that is necessary for you to be able to endure and to press forward in the work of God. Remember that you are a servant of God most high that there's no one who's over him. And so when you enter the battle, you have the confidence 
not in yourself, but in God and in Jesus, that he will help you win the battle. I was talking with my kids about this last night as we sat around the dinner table and we were reflecting on this and uh, I was reminded of the, the hymn by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And one of, the, one of the, the verses in that song that sounds a little strange to modern ears because we like to rationalize things a lot and so we tend to not think things like the world is filled with devils. And yet he says this, and though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That's the faith we have and the confidence we have in Jesus as we walk into battle. It's not that we're not in a war. And if as Christians we are living our lives under the illusion and rather the delusion that we're not, under, un, that we're not in a battle, that this is not a spiritual war, that we need to wake up to the fact that we are in a spiritual war and we need to be diligent and we need to be vigilant in the work of God and we need to be aware and then we need to remember that as I enter this battle, I wear God's armor and not my own. But the only battle you'll fight isn't against an external enemy or a spiritual foe. You'll also battle yourself because we all have weaknesses and we, when we feel pressure, those weaknesses tend to be highlighted when stress builds, when we're going into a new situation like a new school year or a new job or a new season, uh, schedules change, we tend to feel that stress. And as that builds up, people often revert back to what they've done in the past. You might lash out in anger or cursing when you get frustrated. You might go back to drinking when the pressure mounts. Or you might look for meaning through romantic relationships. And when your feelings of insecurity mount, you might let jealousy grow. Or you might be tempted to live to try to get people to like you rather than living to please the Lord. God knows these weaknesses and we can't always avoid situations where our failures and our tendencies toward sin will be highlighted. But one thing we can do is that we can learn to walk in the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul described walking in the Spirit like this at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. He says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We all have sinful tendencies that arise from how we lived when we were separated from God. No one is past temptation. And on our own, we cannot hope to overcome these tendencies toward sin. In fact, on our own, sin seems inevitable. And sometimes Christians begin to live with an attitude that sin in their lives, giving into temptation, going with the flow, responding to the crowd, that is simply an inevitable, inevitable, I 
I can't talk this morning. That is an inevitability in their lives. But thank God, we're not on our own. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He's not a force. He's a person. So we have to learn to listen to him and learn to obey him. He is not a force. So it's, it's not like a magic spell has been cast on your life and suddenly everything that was once difficult for you is now easy. He's a person to whom you must listen to and obey and surrender. And Galatians 5, 16 to 24 gives us a huge clue as to how we can begin listening to his voice and understanding that it's the Holy Spirit who's speaking. When we feel the pull of things like sexual immorality, lack of self-control, division, jealousy, anger, and the other things that Paul lists, we can know without a doubt that is not the Holy Spirit, that's the flesh. And when we are reminded in our lives, in our moments of prayer, in our walk with the Lord of love, joy, peace, and the rest of the fruits of the Spirit, That's the Holy Spirit prompting us in the right direction. And we have to learn to submit to that, to obey that impulse of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you should expect this kind of work in your life. In fact, if you're going back to school this fall, I'd begin to pray about that right now. And ask the Lord, help me to be more sensitive and more aware of your Holy Spirit's direction. And ask him to help you to be more in tune with what the Holy Spirit is saying. And then as you go, Expect that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. Have the faith that the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you and guide you and, and lead you in the right direction because this is what the Bible says will happen, that he will do that work in your life. As you go back to school or work or to your fall routine, expect that the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. Be prepared for it. Be listening for him. And when you realize the Holy Spirit is working to convict you of sin or to guide you away from temptation and lead you into a deeper Christ-likeness, obey him. Listen to what he says. Surrender and obey. Perhaps the best way for you to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit is through prayer. This is another reminder I want to give you as you head back into school that you can persist in prayer. If you want a solid a solid, stable foundation, a good, solid worldview that will help you to see the world as God sees it, you need to persist in prayer. Paul wrote at the end of the passage about the armor of God we read a few moments ago in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. If you want to be aware of the spiritual war that you're in, you have to be in prayer. That's what Paul says. If you want to be alert, that alertness happens in prayer. This is why Jesus told the apostle Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed when they were going to pray in the garden, he told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but when you're restored, encourage the brothers. And then when he went to pray and he came back and found Peter sleeping, over and over he told Peter, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. In other words, prayer heightens our vigilance in the spiritual war that God has us in. The stability you need as you head into a new season will result from that prayer, and you can persist in it. Prayer is part of our armor, and when you pray, you have a great opportunity to hear from the Holy Spirit, as well as to develop your understanding of how God speaks to you. You can intentionally quiet your heart and your mind and cut out distractions and temptations and therefore be better able to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life or how he wants to lead you. In times of prayer, God convicts, he gives direction, he comforts, he strengthens, and he does more. 
And if you don't have an established time for prayer every day, or if you found yourself distracted or drifting from your normal life of prayer in recent months, I want to encourage you to make this season one of renewed prayer. As the season turns to fall, make this a season of renewed prayer in your life. It's going to bring growth in the Lord and provide you with greater stability. In fact, I'd specifically encourage you to begin to set aside time to pray in the morning at the very start of the day. Set that tone in your life. It's not that prayer in the evening is wrong or something like that, but I'd encourage you to at least put part of your time of prayer in the morning to set the tone and the direction for the day before you walk into a place like the halls of your school or maybe the halls of your work into your office building or onto the job site or before you walk into taking care of your grandkids for that day. Why not be aware of what Satan may be wanting to do in your life and be aware of what God wants to do and make yourself aware of that by spending time in prayer. And one more thing that I want to say specifically, if we have any students who are in the room during this service, they're often in Sunday school and are maybe more of them in the second service, but if you're a student here, I want to encourage you with this, that I'm going to be praying for our students every morning, uh, every weekday morning as you're going to school this school year. And I want you to know that we as a church, we care about you and we are on your side and we are here to help you and that your pastor is praying for you. I want you to know that. If you encounter something this school year and you want specific prayer for it, please let me know because I'd be happy to pray for you. It would be my privilege to be able to pray specifically for that thing. You could call me. You can see me after church on a Sunday. You could relay the message through Pastor Mason if you're more comfortable that way. You could make an appointment and come talk to me. I would love if you did that. And, and, and I would be happy to pray for you about the things that are concerning to you as you go back into school. And I want to encourage you and let you know that we as a congregation care about you. We want to pray for you. And I want to encourage you to develop your own life of prayer so that you can learn to walk in the Spirit and put on that armor of God. And that leads to the final reminder concerning going back to school with a stable worldview. You can remember that you're not alone. The enemy is at work using all kinds of tactics and tricks to try to isolate you. It's easier for him to tempt you and pull you into fear and to despair when there's nobody else around to speak words of truth and of life and to point out the lies that you've been listening to in your own head. And we all know that from time to time, we have things circulate in our thinking that doesn't come from God, right? And those things enter our hearts and our thoughts, and if there's not somebody there to call it out, they tend to get lodged there. And we tend to start believing things that are not from God. Consider some of the ways that the enemy works in our lives to convince us of things that are wrong. You think that no one else struggles like you do, that no one else has the same temptations that you do, and so you isolate. You think that people in the church will be judgmental or won't show compassion, because that's what you've heard in the culture, even though you've never tested that for yourself and found out that actually most of the people are compassionate and would love to be of help. You think that people in the world will be more accepting and affirming, but you forget that All you need is an acceptance, but you also need love that speaks truth so that you can grow. You think that your style or your status or your background keeps you from connecting with church people. 
And so you let that isolate you. The enemy plays on your insecurities, convincing you that every look and every comment is intended to be offensive and antagonistic. And so you put up a wall where you become defensive against God's people, even though they meant nothing by that little comment that so offended you. And Satan uses that comment to isolate you so that he can tempt you and get you to believe things that are utterly not the truth. You're convinced that you don't need the church in order to be a Christian. And in all of these ways and many more, the enemy wants to isolate you because you're, easy, you're more easily kept in deception when you're by yourself. And through all of these lies, the enemy, Satan, will seek to keep you from a community that could provide stability. He'll seek to keep you from relationships in which you could be discipled and grow up in Jesus. He wants to keep you convinced that you are alone, that you are on your own, but you are not on your own. You've been baptized into Christ Jesus. If you're a part of the church and you've been baptized, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. You participate in communion at the Lord's Supper. You are part of the family of God. So don't allow the lies of the enemy to keep you from connecting with the church in a meaningful way that will keep you grounded in Jesus in new seasons of life. I had many Many good things happened to me during my college and, and seminary to, uh, career and, and many opportunities for growth. One of the regrets I have is that I allowed my insecurities oftentimes to prevent me from pursuing relationships that could have been a great blessing to me and to other people. And I was afraid of what others would think about me, that they would think that I wasn't spiritual enough, that I wasn't talented enough, or whatever. We all have those thoughts, right? Or at least most people do. I had those thoughts, and so I kept to myself, and I missed something that could have been a great blessing to myself and perhaps to others as well. I'm not talking here about romantic relationships or even just surfacey friendships. I'm talking about knowing that I am part of the family of God and seeking relationships that express that Christian love in a manner that bears fruit for the kingdom of God. Young person, middle-aged person, elder, person who's on the fringe of the church, don't let the enemy convince you that no one cares about you or that the church is just full of people who will judge you. Obviously, all real relationships include an element of risk. But you are part of God's family, and that family can provide a stability in your walk with Christ. Take advantage of that. Come on Wednesdays and pray with the family. Get in a connect group to deepen your relationships with the family. Get involved, if you're a young person, get involved in youth group. Join a ministry team where relationships can grow. But whatever you do, don't let the enemy use your insecurities or your pride to keep you separate from others where you will be an easy target. You should go back to school or into a new season of your life with a stabilizing worldview. And you've heard a few reminders today that can help you to do that remembering that you're in a spiritual battle, that you wear God's armor, that you can walk in the Spirit, that you can pray, and that you're not alone. If you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, I want you to know this, that God loves you, he is concerned for you, he cares about your life, so much so that he sent his son to die for you. You're more than flesh and blood, and we've talked about being in a spiritual battle this morning, but you're more than flesh and blood that is just alive for a few years and then you're gone. God created you, and he has an intention for you. He has a purpose and a plan for you. You were made primarily to know him and to be in a relationship with him, but we've all failed in that. 
The primary failure can be expressed like this. We've all failed to acknowledge God. Now, that doesn't seem to be such a big deal in our lives. I mean, what's, what's failure to acknowledge somebody? Does God feel slighted? Is he easily offended? No, failure to acknowledge God means that we've, we've given other things the glory that God deserves. It means that if we've not acknowledged that God is creator, that he's Lord, that he's primary, that he is the one who should direct our lives, then we've given that privilege to someone or something else. And if we're going to be blunt about it, even if you haven't given it to another god or idol or something like that in our rationalistic culture, behind what you've given the authority and the acknowledgement in your life to is spiritual power because you're a spiritual being. And so in your life, by failing to acknowledge God, the Bible calls this idolatry. Idolatry is the failure to acknowledge God, that he's the one who creates, who gives life, and who brings salvation. And if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, then you've been separated from God like we all are or were at one point in our lives by that sin. You've decided to worship something or to acknowledge something in your life other than the God who created you and sent his son Jesus to die for you and to save you. And yet the Bible gives us this good news, that though you've chosen to be ignorant, though you've chosen to rebel, that though you've chosen to refuse to acknowledge God's goodness, his purpose, his plan, and his place in your life, that while we were still sinners, that is, while you were still an enemy of God, God sent his son to die for you. In fact, it says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now you might wonder, why would Jesus have to die? Jesus had to die because our sin separates us from God and it cuts us off from life. Since God is the giver of life, to be cut off from him, to refuse to acknowledge him and go the other way, that brings death. It brings separation from God. Not just physical death, but it brings spiritual death as well. And perhaps in your life, you've been experiencing that spiritual death. Maybe there's been a a, a sneaking suspicion in your life recently that although things on the surface seem to be going well, that there is a hole and a lack of purpose and of intention in your life. And you've been asking yourself questions like, surely there has to be more to life than this external success I've had. Or maybe for you, it's even more dramatic. Maybe for you, you know that there's a spiritual reality and you know you're on the wrong side of it. There's no doubt in your mind. You know you've been under attack. You know that there are dark things going on in your life and you're aware of it completely. And maybe your thought this morning was, I can't be set free, I can't be saved. I'm like on the opposite team of God. The good news is that Jesus came and he died to set you free from that. He did it for you. He did it to bring you out of darkness into light. He did it to bring you out of the domain of the enemy and into his family and into his kingdom. He did it so that your sin could be forgiven and that your debt could be paid. And this morning, That's available to you. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are, how much you think you've done. If you're hearing that good news this morning and you feel the prompting in your heart saying, this is for you, listen to this. That is evidence to you. God is at work in your life in spite of what you might think. And my warning to you today would be this. The temptation for you will be to say, I'm gonna clean myself up first. First, I'm gonna go and 
and get, get right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a good person first. I'm gonna go and live better for a while. No, that is not the gospel. You'll never be free on your own. The gospel is this, that in Jesus, you can have freedom. If you'll confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved in the sense that you'll have acknowledged God, you'll have acknowledged Jesus is the Lord, your worship will be going to the right person, and now he steps into your life. And it's not just a belief in some airy-fairy thing out there somewhere. It is the trust that Jesus really is my Lord. And if he's my Lord, he gives me his armor. And if he's my Lord, he sets me free. And if he's my Lord, then there can be no other Lord. And so the power of darkness and the power of sin is cut off in my life, and I'm free in Jesus. If that's you today, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. You're stuck in your sin. You're stuck in a life that swirls in purposelessness. You're stuck in a life where you know you're walking in spiritual darkness. I want you to know today you can be free if you'll believe in Jesus. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you wanna know the forgiveness and freedom I just talked about, I'm gonna ask you to do something. This doesn't save you, but I just want the privilege of being able to pray with you and, and I want you to have some way that you can respond this morning to what God is speaking into your life. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you wanna begin that today by faith in him, you wanna confess that he's Lord and you wanna be forgiven and free, then I'm gonna ask if you just lift up your hand very quickly. Is there anybody like that? You don't have that relationship with God through Jesus, but you wanna begin that this morning. Is there anybody here? You don't have that assurance that Jesus is your Lord and you today want to confess he's the Lord of your life, that he wants to forgive you, that he, you wanna know his freedom. If you've joined us online and you wanna respond there, text the word HOPE to 413-360-61 because we wanna to respond to you as well. But is there anyone here this morning, you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus, and today you wanna to know that freedom and forgiveness in him? Would you just lift up your hand? I wanna wait for just a moment because I don't wanna pass that up, I don't wanna pass that by, and, Perhaps you're wrestling in your heart right now with, should I respond? Listen, don't let what other people might think or your fear about what the enemy might think keep you from responding to what God wants to do in your life today. If that's you, you don't have that relationship, would you just lift up your hand so that I can pray with you and, we, and you can respond to the good news of Jesus this morning. Anybody like that? I'm gonna pray in case there are those online who have responded and if you didn't respond and you wish you would have when the service is over there are going to be some people at the front of the sanctuary at the front here to pray with you and we would love for you to respond to that we'd love to speak with you about what that means to know Jesus as your savior we have a, a, a book we'd like to give you to help you to know what are the first steps I need to take in following him but let's pray together and let's trust as we pray that God will set people free heavenly father in Jesus name we thank you this morning for the grace of God that you have given in our lives and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sin and to free us not only from sin but from the, from the work of Satan and from this world. Father, we ask today that those who are responding that you'd minister in their lives. Father, we pray that you would bring them forgiveness that as they confess Jesus is their Lord and they ask for your forgiveness today that they would experience the weight of their sin lifted off of their shoulder and the assurance that they are your child, that you're, they are your son or your daughter. I pray, Father, that you would give them a, a, a new heart today, 
and give them a new life in you as your word promises. And I ask, Lord, that from this moment on, they would follow Jesus with conviction. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to do one more thing this morning as we get ready to go, and that's this. If, if you're going into school year this year, a new school year, going into a new season of life, uh, whatever that might look like for you, whether it's a new job or you've got a new role, maybe you're a new mom, a new dad, a new grandpa, a new grandma. Uh, maybe you're going to be doing something different with schooling this year. You're going to be homeschooling your kids. You're going to be sending your kids to a new school. And you know that there are challenges that you're facing. And you want prayer for a specific challenge related to a change in life. You want to ask for God's grace and his stability. Then I'm going to ask our prayer partners, our deacons, our deaconesses, and our pastors, if you go ahead and come forward right now, if you're part of our prayer team or our deacons or pastors, would you go ahead and come forward? And these folks are going to be available. And as we close, if you've got a change of season in your life and you want to pray that God would strengthen you, that he'd stabilize you, you want to pray for that change of season, come and pray with one of those who is here this morning. We would be happy to pray with you and ask for God's grace, his direction, and his wisdom in your life in the months ahead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had today to worship together and to remember the victory you bring us in Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would help us as we walk out of this place to realize not only that we are in a battle, but that we have the winning man on our side, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow him, to walk in the Spirit, to be walking in the confidence of the armor of God. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to win the battles that you put us in. Lord, we also pray that as a church, you would stir up, stir up in us a sense of urgency, that time is short, that the plan is clear. Your word says this gospel will be preached to, the, to all nations, and then the end will come. And so, Lord, our spiritual warfare is clear. We are to be preaching the gospel to all nations. Give us a renewed urgency and burden to preach, to proclaim, to tell, to share, and to see people come to Jesus. And we pray for the empowering work of the Spirit as we do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you'd like prayer, please come forward. Otherwise, we will see you again on Wednesday evening for our prayer service. Until then, go in God's grace and in his peace.